by Self and Millie, a podcast that gives light and levity to infertility and different pathways to parenthood. I'm your host and infertility sleuth, Millie Brooks. Welcome to the show. It's that awkward time of the year between Christmas and New Year's where every day feels like a Sunday. It's slow, it's cold, and all you want to do is veg. Anyways, moving on from that, today we have returning guest Alex Slate on the podcast to talk about, oh, well, (laughs) I'll I'll let her share the story. It's very hard to really even introduce, um... But basically, both Alex and her surrogate, Trish, are pregnant at the same time. You probably remember Alex from episode 53, where she talked about transporting her embryos from from one clinic to another clinic, and they were on the same street. Welcome, Alex! Thank you! What an intro! Okay, wait, did I get it correctly? We're both clinics on the same street? You're totally right, yes. <laughs> That's the best story ever. It it truly is. And it still costs a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> like everything with infertility. Yes. Oh, I bet it did. Yeah. I mean... Clearly, I had a difficult time introducing the topic today, (laughs) let alone trying to find a title. And so, Alex, where should we start? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, there are so many starting points for this because it's a very long journey. It's been, you know, over six and a half years at this point. So it's it's a doozy of a of a journey. But I mean, from the point of bringing those embryos from one clinic to another, one of those embryos is uh, a to-be baby. I mean, that's a great place to start. Yeah. Yeah. So you moved forward with um, a surrogate. We did. So um, I can can do a little bit of background about that because that's um, an interesting... uh, path to go down when you've been, you know, through so much. Um, I've obviously been through a lot of pregnancy loss. Um, we've had five, I've had five pregnancies and five losses. Um, and at that point, and, and a lot of infer- dealing with infertility and the struggle to get pregnant as well. So um, throughout those six and a half years, it was a, just a lot of disappointment. Um, and I got to a point where I said, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this with my body anymore. I think that the problem here is not necessarily our embryos, um, and might just be me and my uterus or my immune system or something. And obviously I never had anything show up in any of my tests. So I'm still unexplained, um, recurrent pregnancy loss and unexplained infertility, um, which is a big. <laughs> a Wait, big... so when you, even when you tr- um, changed clinics, yeah, guys were still digging for some some answers and nothing nothing came up. That's right. We we did a few more tests at at the newer clinic um, that 
were not offered to us at other clinics. So I was very happy for that. Um, but everything still continued to either come back um, normal or we did get something that came back inconclusive, um, which was was interesting. It was the Emma and Alice test, which is a uterine biopsy. Um, and you often get it done along with the ERA test for the receptivity timeline of your uterus for receiving an embryo. Um, and those two tests came back inconclusive for me. Um, and luckily I have a doctor who was like, I don't want to redo this test for you because who needs more uterine biopsies? Oh, boy. <laughs> and he's, and he's right. <laughs> And he said, if you're, if you would like to, he's like, I'm happy to put you on the protocol for, you know, let's imagine that you had, if both of these things came back positive. He was like, I'm not concerned that putting you on a round of antibiotics and a round of vaginal probiotics is going to be harmful to you. So he was like, if you'd like to do that, instead of redoing this whole test, I'm happy to do that. So we did that. Um, at some point this year, like earlier in the year. Um, so who knows if that helped with something, you just really never know. And you started that protocol, um, before you knew you were pregnant? That, yes. Okay. It was a number of months before. So there were a few months where I still wasn't getting pregnant. So, you know, who knows? Vaginal probiotics. Right. First time, I gotta say, it's the intense kind. First time I'm I've ever heard of that. It would be usually I think women use it as an alternative to like yeast infection um, treatments. It would be a more natural treatment of just putting the actual probiotics straight to the source instead of okay. having to use like a a prescription kind of medication, right? Got it. Don't anybody put Activia up your cooch. <laughs> we are not. Don't do that, especially if it's flavored. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know, you're not going to solve a yeast infection with strawberry yogurt. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... You kind of, uh, how long did, were you doing this for? Two, three, four months? Um, no, I, so I did the antibiotics, um, which are really, really strong antibiotics um, that people often take for any sort of like stomach infection um, or like infection in that sort of area of your body. Because every antibiotic is, well, not every antibiotic, most antibiotics are sort of targeted for certain things. Um, so I took that for 10 days. Um, and I took the probiotic for 10 days along with it. And then after taking the antibiotics, I ended up getting a yeast infection. Well, candida, which is a yeast infection of like your GI tract, which was not fun to deal with. Um, so then I continued on those vaginal probiotics and probiotics and some other tinctures and stuff to sort of get rid of that. And then my body sort of sorted itself all out and I felt pretty good. Okay. And so during this time, you were not on any contraception? No, no. 
I right, because we're all really, like we haven't, we, I haven't been on contraception forever. Yeah, yeah. What's My contraception the is infertility. Right, right. <laughs> um, okay, because there are some scenarios where people are like, the doctor does not want you to get pregnant at True. all. Right. Yes. Yep. Um, this was not one of those scenarios. And I think this sort of drug protocol after all of this was kind of like my last hurrah of like treating myself for something. Cause I was like, you know what? Cause we had, I think at that point we had met our surrogate and we hadn't quite matched with her, but I was like, you know what? I still want to treat myself. If I have an infection in my uterus, whether I'm going to get pregnant or not, I don't want to be walking around with an infection in my uterus. Right. So right. like, that's just not something that anybody wants. Um, totally. So then we matched with our surrogate, Trish, and she's, I mean, we all connected very easily, like my husband and her and myself. Um, it was like, we were just, you know, I mean, first I just, meeting with I anyone love- is always a little awkward. Yeah, and I I mean, I loved how you were sharing about it too, how you you kind of were sending some cards or gifts or like I don't know. I just loved the wooing process. The wooing process is so interesting because I I knew nothing about matching with a surrogate. I knew nothing about the process of all of that sort of stuff. So that to me, like I had talked to a few people who had done it. But I didn't really know when you get into that process that often when you meet with a surrogate, they want you to ask them, like, you can't just assume that they think that you want to match with them, right? It's kind of like asking someone out on a date where you have to say, okay, like, I really like you or do you want to match with me? Um so it's kind of like a little bit of a proposal or like a promposal in that way where, you know, you may send someone a letter that they open up and it says, will you be our surrogate or, you know, things like that. Um, and we sent her and her family some really sweet things um, just to, you know, we, we kind of had a feeling we were unofficially matched at a point. And I said to her, you know what? We're not going to officially match with you yet. I have something that I'm sending in the mail. Like, it doesn't mean 100% anything. Don't worry about it. We're just sending it to you. And it was a couple little gifts for her family. And and uh, in there at some point, it said, will you be our surrogate? So, <laughs> I mean, it, it's bringing me back to one of my favorite HBO shows, Big Love, where you all, ha- the whole family has to agree <laughs> on inviting another wife into the relationship. Yes, you it know? is. It's it's like having, it, it is like we were dating her in a way, yeah. right? Like, um, and the thing I loved, I think most about her, initially was when we sort of got off our first call with her, we gave her our, our phone numbers and said, you know, let's like text a little bit. And like, we can sort of text back and forth. And she sent me a message and she sent my husband a message separately. And she said, you know, I just really want to get to know you both. I want to get to know you both separately. I want to get to know you together, but I want to have a relationship with each of you. 
Um, and that was really important to me because I knew it was really important to him. He is like, as you know, any males in, in heterosexual relationships going through infertility, they don't get to do a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so this was a, a, an opportunity for him to feel like he was part of it and experiencing a lot of it. So I, I just like, to me, that was probably the moment that I was like, I think she's going to be, I think she's going to be our surrogate. Like, I hope she likes us because mm-hmm. like she really like reaching out to him like that was so important to me. Yeah. I really respect that. Totally. That's, um, that's really admirable. And she is in the United States, correct? No, she's in New Brunswick, which is east of where I live. Okay, um, I was thinking New Brunswick, New Jersey. No. Okay. She is in New Brunswick, the province. Okay, got in it. In Canada. Yeah. Got it. So she's in a small town in New Brunswick. Um, so that's about a two-hour flight from us um, or like a 14-hour drive. Got it. Got <laughs> which, it. which is not ideal for any of us. But when you have oh. the right person... I I can't imagine putting my embryos in someone just because they live close to me. Oh yeah, terrible. A terrible like um contributing factor is location. Absolutely. Like yeah. not not um important at all. No, it definitely makes, you know, um some coordinating quite a bit easier, but the coordinating for me is after the fact of being with someone that you trust and love. So absolutely. I, I was like, I can't, I don't care that she lives in New Brunswick. <laughs> like she, that's totally fine. It sucks that she doesn't live here because if she lived here, it'd be amazing. But, um, but I'm actually so glad that she lives where she lives and that she's brought up the way she was brought up and is doing this unbelievable thing for us. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a, I don't even, I don't even think gift even encompasses the, the, the whole picture, you know? It doesn't. It's It's like like a um, gift times a thousand. It's like beyond comprehension of what you could ever do for someone else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and, and she, like her mindset is the most amazing because I say to her, oh my God, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And she's like, I'm not doing anything. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What do you mean? You're doing everything. And she's like, but I'm just sitting here. And I'm like, but you have like a baby inside of you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What an angel. What an angel. Absolutely. 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 Um, Okay. So... You guys did a transfer with Trish. We did. Can you kind of go back a little bit on timelines? Yes. Um, Because you got matched with Trish, Mm -hmm. and then you did the probiotic and the antibiotics um, to heal the infection. Yep. Where Where did all of this line up? So we sort of ended up matching and meeting with Trish and doing this probiotic thing all around the same time. So it would have been about March of 2021. Um, And then she came 
to Toronto to do her medical screening, um, which she had to do at our clinic. So we had to fly her in um, and do her medical screening at our clinic. And that would have been in May. Um, Cause it was, you know, taking a while to get things organized and figuring out stuff with her work. And, you know, she's got two, two teenagers as well. So just figuring out timing for things. So she came in around May. Um, she passed her medical screening. She passed her psychological screening, which is another thing they have to do. And we also have to do. Um, so we passed our psychological screening, like barely. <laughs> we just, we just, just made it. Just by. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were just a few jokes shy of, of not passing. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Um, but uh, so we did all of that. We then had our lawyers draft up our contract that kind of went back and forth a couple of times just with, you know, clarifying a couple of things in there um, for everybody to be like safe and protected and agreed upon. And actually, it was, it was very easy. I think um, that's a number one thing I think is having a surrogate that you do are very close with, you can just talk to them about things before oh God, you're yeah. meeting with lawyers. Oh God, there's a <laughs> lot of legal jargon and hoops and you just want oh. to be on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, some of the major things that you need to agree upon are reimbursement costs um, and what they're sort of expecting. Um, and um, also like termination for pregnancies. Um, and things like that, what, what they are comfortable with or not comfortable with. Um, and for her, she just, she was like, it's your baby. Like you make the choices. This isn't up to me. This is, I'm offering you a space for your baby. And if things aren't going well, it, that's your baby. So you decide. So selfless, so selfless. Unbelievably selfless. Unbelievably. Um, it, it, like it, it, sometimes it doesn't make sense to me that she exists <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and I'm so grateful that she does, but, uh, yeah, she's, she's lovely. And, and just as, as a backstory, she also before us did her first surrogacy journey and had twins. Wow. So, yeah. So really Trish an unbelievable is human. coming up for the twins. She is, yeah, she's got it on her track record. Well, I've said, I've said it's, it's her that's caused this. Cause <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure you just give couples two babies. Yeah. It just depend. doesn't, doesn't matter how you, how they get them. You just figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She comes bearing gifts. That's right. Be careful two, with this. Two she might time. give you more than you asked for. <laughs> two gifts at a time. Okay. So, um, I got, okay. So you got the legal stuff in motion. That's right. We've signed, we signed our, our contracts, our contracts are signed. We now have a transfer date set for her. Um, and her transfer date was, oh gosh, was it September or October? I think end of September. I'm okay. trying to remember. I'm trying to remember dates. There's so many dates. Cause there's a lot of things that went on. 
And so we had that all set up and she was doing a, a longer protocol where she started with Lupron. Um, we literally, my, my doctor was lovely and was like, let's carbon copy her last protocol. Cause it worked, mm. you know, he didn't need to throw his stamp on it. Yeah, He was like, let's use this other doctor's protocol that worked perfectly for her. I appreciate that. Me too. So much. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I think it was about a week or two. I think it was two weeks before her loop, first Lupron shot. I found out I was pregnant. Okay. And that was in July. So that was in July. Yeah. And it was completely spontaneous. You were four weeks, five weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably four weeks. I, I, <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story that I don't, I don't know if I've, I've told this one to a lot of people, but once with a couple of my pregnancies right at the beginning, I would get very mad at my husband mm. <laughs> without, this is before knowing I was pregnant, always before knowing I, it was like this weird initial, maybe HCG in my body where I just got really ragey mm. and I would just be like, God, like I'm so annoyed at the things that he's doing. So one of my pregnancies, I ended up going up to one of my friend's cottages because I was so angry and like left. I was like, I'm going away for the weekend. Like, I'll see you later. Yeah. I got to get out of here. And it happened again, this pregnancy. So while I'm at a friend's cottage, I'm like, I feel really weird. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to check this. And then found out that I was pregnant again. I was like, well, obviously, I'm super mad at my husband. Of course, this would be the case. Right. Right. I mean, that's the first. Yeah. I mean, that's your first symptom. It is. Forget the boobs. My first symptom is is rage. Yeah. (laughs) Forget the boobs and the headaches and the cramping. It's rage. Yeah. Those didn't didn't come for a while. Okay. It's the rage, the surprise rage. Yes, the surprise rage. Now, who did you call first, your OB or your fertility doctor? Fertility doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, Called fertility doctor, went in immediately for um, a beta and a second beta. And my second beta actually didn't didn't double completely. So I was like, oh, here we go again. Like, Mm -hmm. here's everything that always happens to me. Um, so I was pretty convinced after our second beta that our third beta would be also terrible. Um, and then it wasn't, and it more than doubled. And then everything just kept going. I think we did five betas, which I guess at at five, it's not a truly a beta anymore. (laughs) The beta beta would really be your, your first one, right? Right, right. Um, but we did about five. I think I ended up waiting until a couple of days before Trish did her Lupron shot to tell her, because I was like, I'm not letting her do any type of, um, start any type of drugs before letting her know what's going on here. Mm -hmm. But I also was so sure I would miscarry. Mm. 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 So I was like, I just let, let me wait it out as long as I can so that I can either tell her that I'm pregnant or tell her that I'm having a miscarriage. So Mm. I just waited as long as I could to be able to give her some sort of news that was real news, like that I felt more confident about. Um, 
And so I told her, I think I'd had the first ultrasound, a very early ultrasound. And so I said to her, like, <laughs> well, like, I just need to let you know that yeah. somehow I'm pregnant and somehow things look okay. Yeah. And we still want to do a transfer with you because I don't, number one, I don't have confidence in this pregnancy. And number two, I, I, I will never use these embryos within my own body. Mm -hmm. And this is our plan. Yeah. We've planned this. This is how we're doing things. And I was actually very upset when I found out I was pregnant because I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I literally make all of the plans. Oh God. Yeah. To not have to go through this mental, you know, all of this stuff. And, uh, we just we just went forward. I think it's so understandable that you went forward. You know, like I just absolutely absolutely like you history has shown you that this is not um you know it it's hard to achieve success within your own body. So of course, I mean, like, I think anybody in their right mind would be like, absolutely, we're moving forward with Trish. Right? Right. Right. Um, was there ever a point where you were like, ooh, things could go differently? <laughs> like, you mean, you mean like, did I ever think that I might have two babies on the way? Yes. I, it was the last possibility to me. Mm -hmm. I felt like there, after everything I'd been through, having five pregnancies not work, five, that's five times. Oh, I was gosh. like, these are two times, two chances. Like, maybe one of them will work. Maybe. So I didn't really think that it was possible but I also didn't think that it was a bad thing mm. right like I was like you know <laughs> worst case scenario this all works and that's literally best case scenario I know so there wasn't really anything holding us back from moving forward with her um and I I do feel like some of that, you know, pressure on me was taken off because I could just know that there was this other chance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've just had so much pressure on myself, right? Like, yeah, not that I'm saying that I think that's what made this pregnancy move forward, but like, it was nice to not have the pressure <laughs> just, just in general. Well, have you gotten any comments about, yep, well, there it is. You know, you just relaxed and finally it happened. Yes. Oh. And that was, um, I cried about that a lot in the beginning. Um, about if my pregnancy worked out, what people were going to say about it. Um, because I, the last thing I ever want to be is that story that people tell to other infertile people or about infertile people. 
Um, I, can I swear on your podcast? Oh, please. (laughs) I fucking cannot stand hearing those types of things or, oh, my friend did this or this person I know this happened to, or this was this. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be one of those people. And I do not want to be one of those stories. I don't want that to be what some someone's friend tells them as like the hopeful story of what can happen to you. Because no, I'm an anomaly. This is like not a normal thing to happen. This isn't like, oh, you know what could happen to you? You should get a surrogate because this happened to this girl that I know. No, this is like just an absurd timing issue with figuring enough stuff out with my doctor to have this pregnancy continue and happening to also have a surrogate going through it as well. Well, and also I feel like there was no relaxing throughout this process, right? Like you had to do the stuff for your own uterus, again, the protocol before you were Mm -hmm. pregnant. And then what you know, what was your protocol after to make sure that it, that it stuck? I'm sure that would, that was a long list. Yes. So it was a very long list. And I, I do think, um, that that was what really helped this pregnancy continue. Um, I had many doctors who would not put me on this protocol and I had pregnancies that didn't work out because I wasn't put on an, an immune protocol. Um, and finally this doctor was like, well, if we get you pregnant, we'll put you on this immune protocol, which was prednisone, aspirin, uh, progesterone. I was on the thyroid medication. I was on, um, intralipid infusions. Um, and I was on Fragmin, which is an injectable blood thinner. Um, so it was a lot of stuff. Yeah. But I do think that all of that really, really helped, um, and made this all very possible. So I've heard a couple of times about intralipid infusions, but I've never totally unpacked what it is. Can you kind of share your experience with it? For sure. Um, so intralipid is like a literally a a substance that gets put directly into your veins. Um, It's usually a mixture of soy and eggs. Oh, wow. Which I heard from someone that it's something that they often feed to preemie babies as well. Okay. But I get it straight to the vein. So it's going into your bloodstream. That's amazing. It It is really amazing. So it's supposed to sort of um, mute your autoimmune, like your immune system is supposed to be a little bit muted, which is the same with prednisone. Prednisone does the same thing where you're, it's, it's literally an immune suppressant. Mm-hmm. So your body doesn't attack any foreign exactly. substances. Which for people with recurrent pregnancy loss can be just what your body is doing. You know, you have this foreign object in your body and your body goes, hey, 
you weren't here before. We should probably get rid of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so oh your body's doing God. like a great job, but just like too good of a job. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so just muting that slightly can be helpful with implantation and continuing sort of early pregnancy until your body kind of picks up the, you know, going like, oh, okay, this has been here for a while now. Like, this is probably an okay thing. We're just going to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you go off of all of that stuff around, you know, 10 to 12 weeks, you sort of dis, you know, stop all of it. And my doctor wanted me on the interlipids until after my my latest loss had been. Okay. So he said, however late your loss was, I want you on it like a week or two longer. Okay. Got it. So you're currently 20 weeks now. I I will be 20 weeks. When this airs, I will be much, much further along. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm 20 weeks in like five days. So I'm like 19 ish weeks. Okay. And so, um, anything that you continued are going to continue throughout the whole pregnancy? Medication wise? Yeah. The, the one thing that I'm continuing, well, actually, sorry, two things that I'm continuing are, um, my thyroid medication and, um, aspirin, which doesn't, always have to be continued, but because I'm actually 40 and over, um, my OB actually said to continue it because it's helpful for people who are predisposed to preeclampsia, which would be anyone over the age of 40. So, Mm -hmm. so I do continue with that. Um, studies have shown that it's also helpful for people who've had IVF pregnancies to carry on with baby aspirin as well, but it's not as helpful for people who've had spontaneous pregnancies for some reason. I don't know if it's just the studies aren't there for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my doctor was like, well, you don't need to be on the baby aspirin. He was like, wait, you're 40, right? He was like, then you do need to be on the baby aspirin. <laughs> so, you know. Okay, got it. Yeah. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Again, with timelines, um, <laughs> also like, what is time anymore? What, what is time? It's, a, you know, some people keep forgetting that these two babies are in two different people. And they're like, I keep thinking you're having twins. I'm like, well, I am. They're just like separated before birth twins. Right. <laughs> and they're going to be eight weeks apart. They'll be eight weeks apart. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Okay. I okay. So Trish is just about to enter her second trimester. That's right. She's very excited to be off of all of the drugs because she's taking progesterone and oil injections, mm. which we all know are not fun. Oh no! Oh, those are the worst. So I want to like. I wish I could just celebrate with her with champagne, but it just doesn't work that way. Oh, I know. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Okay. All right. Got it. Got it. Got it. Now, you know, recurrent pregnancy loss is a major part of your story. For sure. And um, I have a fair amount of listeners who also have gone through RPL. Now, Mm -hmm. can you just expand on your on that part of your journey a little bit because i think that like people don't understand exactly um 
the weight and heaviness, you know, mm-hmm. like five losses, that is mm-hmm. a tremendous amount, you know, yeah. and you go through life and death within like uh, such a short period of time and you just feel whiplashed. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit more about that part of your journey? For sure. Um, I mean, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting place to be and the worst place to be in the world to, to go through it because you just really don't know if that will ever end. Um, I, you know, I, I was just actually talking today on my Instagram about, um, sort of positive thinking and all that sort of stuff. And, and I think with my first couple of pregnancies, I felt quite a lot of guilt um, about, you know, what had I done? What could I do better next time? Was it the, you know, the paint fumes that I was inhaling before I knew I was pregnant? Was it, did I lift something too heavy? Did I do all that sort of stuff? And I think, um, just in society, we, we place a lot of blame on women for pregnancy loss. Um, and that obviously needs to stop. And I think there are a lot of us out there talking about that and how that isn't the case. But in the past, there was a lot about that, right? It was all women's fault and infertility is a woman's fault and it's a woman's illness and all this sort of stuff. As I got through more years, and more losses, sadly, I realized that none of it was my fault. Um, and that feeling guilt and feeling sadness and feeling all of those things was completely normal and really okay. And what people need in that space is being validated in their feelings and not told to think more positively or at least you can get pregnant or you know, what else do you think you could do to help this? Like, you don't need any of that bullshit. (laughs) It's, um, you're allowed to feel how you want to feel. And you just need people to validate that. Because it's entirely valid to feel all of your feelings, to feel angry at people who are pregnant, to feel angry about the fact that you can get pregnant, but can't carry pregnancies. I just think there's a lack of support in people telling you how much it sucks and like how sorry they are. Luckily for me, I've found Instagram and like a huge space of support with people all going through it. And I felt a lot of validation and a lot of, you know, um, empathy in that space, but truly in the outside space of things, you still get a lot of stupidity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, I think really the only thing I can say is that search out those people, search out the people who make you feel understood um, and who make you feel better about what you're going through Mm -hmm. and not people who make you feel like you should have done something differently or that you should be doing something differently. I mean, obviously you're going to be searching that anyway right? We all do that no matter what. I looked for many doctors. I looked up so many things. And I would say if your doctor isn't helpful, find another doctor. Yeah. Yeah. 
I um I totally appreciate that tidbit. Like finding a different doctor is sometimes can really change a person's course, you know. For sure. And and also their um their just their attitude towards the whole thing too. Yeah. Um yep. And so okay. I um I appreciate that because you know ha- have you had not been in a place where you had had so many losses maybe when you got pregnant do you think you would have been more hesitant with Trish to move forward that's a good question um possibly yeah i it's it that that's hard in hindsight right to to know, or not in hindsight, but in hypothetical. Yeah. I I don't know what I would have done, Um, but I probably wouldn't have been there at that point without having loss. Right. But I, but if I dealt with just, just the infertility part and never being pregnant, then maybe I would be. So, and I, and I, and I think at that point I also would have moved forward because who knows what's going on in that. If that was your first pregnancy ever, yeah. And you'd experience that after years and years of just not getting pregnant, you might do the same thing. Yeah. It's hard to exactly. I mean, it's hard to know what you you would do, but at the same time I think loss totally changes you, right? Sure. Like in all of your decision making. Yeah. And so moving forward, at any point, you know, like maybe once it seemed like both pregnancies were going to stick around at any point were you like what the fuck <laughs> and did Millie at every at every point I was like what the fuck I mean did you just <laughs> stare at Alex who it, for the listeners Alex's husband is named Alex yes um did you ever just stare at him on the couch and just shrug? <laughs> I think I I think we continue to do that. Yeah, I because think... I would just be doing that all the time. I... <laughs> I think it's just it may be a consistent for the rest of our lives. Um because it's not this is it's kind of a situation that's ever changing. Um, and become, I mean, I, I know what the result will hopefully be. Um, and, but still, if, if we do have these two babies and they grow up, I'm, they're going to be one and I'm going to be like, how is this happening? And they're going to be five. And I'm going to be like, what, what happened? Like, it's still, I don't know if there's going to be a point where I'm just accepting it as like a norm in my life. Mm. It feels crazy. Yeah. It feels exciting and scary, but I'm not scared about the, you know, people have asked me, they're like, oh my God, are you like so worried that you're going to have these two crazy babies? And I'm like, no, I'm worried that I might not have both of these babies Mm -hmm. because I still deal with the feeling of being someone who loses babies. So for me, that part is like, the exciting, wonderful part. Um, And I'm not scared of that at all. That part is not scary. I mean, how does one begin to prepare for that potential outcome? 
I'll tell, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm preparing, not doing anything. Good. <laughs> good. That's a good start. That's a good start. The, the only thing that I've been able to sort of bring myself to do at this point is make lists of things. Um, but I haven't been able to bring myself to buy things. And I don't think that I do have to buy. I'm, I mean, I'm 20 weeks almost at this point. That was a very long 20 weeks. So the next 20 are, I'm sure, going to feel super long. So yeah, I, I'm sure we've got time. If, if we have this baby and literally have nothing at home, it w- we'll get things. We have a large support system uh, in our home in Toronto and have family around. And this first baby is really going to be the guinea pig, right? Like the other baby gets to come and be like, oh, everything's set up for me. And baby number one gets it, gets it the harshest, <laughs> harsh reality. Yeah. Well, I think that like, I mean, for me, for me hearing that, I feel like when you're ready to open those gates, it'll just come flooding in. Right. And I, I kind of feel the same. And I, I have sort of set myself like that 24 week mark of viability to be a place where I can feel a bit safer. Mm -hmm. But I say that in my brain, and I don't know if I feel that in my heart, right? Like I, I can say, oh, at 24 weeks, I'm going to go and buy my first baby outfit. But I might not. (laughs) well I I just I mean everything like first of all they don't need a lot in the beginning and oh my god there's too much you know right like it's probably best to just like enter that space when you feel comfortable absolutely and um and I'll have the lists right so I can just just pass that off to someone and be like, go get me all of this stuff. I'm busy with a baby at home. So exactly. I'm going to need all of these things. So please go get those for me. Now, um, I'm I'm maybe getting a two head of myself, but I, I'm sure you've, this has crossed your mind. What will both deliveries look like? That's an excellent question. Um First delivery will look like, I I have an OB in Toronto for um, the pregnancy with the baby in my tummy. So I will likely have this baby at a hospital. Um, The one thing I did that wasn't just a list item is we did speak with a doula who will join us at the hospital because I wanted someone a little bit there to help that isn't the doctor, that isn't hospital staff. I wanted just an extra, you know, uh, extra person for advocacy and um, being able to help me with decision making and things like that. And pregnancy number two and delivery number two is quite up in the air. She's obviously Trish is in New Brunswick. So she has a doctor in New Brunswick. the original plan has always the original plan without baby number one being in the picture was she might come here to give birth or she might be there depending on how her pregnancy is going. So I think that's still a bit up in the air. And I think everything has to be up in the air at this point because we won't, 
I don't think a true plan will happen until we have this first baby to be like, okay, what's doable at this point? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's possible we can drive baby number one to New Brunswick, stay in New Brunswick for a couple of weeks, have baby number two there and like hang out for a bit and then drive them both home. But maybe that's not doable. Um, You know, you just don't know what these babies are going to be like and how these pregnancies and births are going to go. So, right. And they could get closer together and they could get further apart. So it's just uh, such an unknown that I don't, I don't feel the need to entirely plan it. Yeah. Yet. Um, but maybe at some point to have a couple of plans in place. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like a good idea. Like, I mean, would you want to fly? Would you want to drive? Right. Would you want to go alone? Right. Would you definitely want baby one with you? You know, like that, um, that all seems like things you can talk about. Right. With Alex. (laughs) And, and I, and I do think that it really, I don't know any of those answers until that number one baby is here and you go, okay, so here are my options. Now I have you, you're okay. Um, Here's what I feel comfortable doing with you. And here's what I don't feel comfortable doing with you. I think that's so smart. Yeah. I think that's so smart. I really do because you don't know um, how that delivery might go, you know, like, um, it, you know, things could go one direction, they could go another. And so you, you just want to be fluid, right? Right. And, you know, I'll just put out the feelers here. If anyone has a private plane that would like to fly us back and forth, we're all for it. Oh, please. Yes. I, I, yes. Kim and Kanye, if you are listening to this show, um, you know, and you want to kind of donate to this cause. Right. Alex is here for it. <laughs> okay, great. Just a couple of, a couple of private plane trips. Yeah. I love it. Now, oh, this is a weird question. Um, how common is this? You know, I I don't think that it's very common. Mm-hmm. Most people who are dealing with um, getting to the point of having a surrogate join their for infertility journey. I hate the word journey. Infertility slog. <laughs> <laughs> slog. I love it. Um, I think there's a lot going on there usually with, um, with being able to get pregnant or stay pregnant. So I don't think that it is very common, but since having this happen to me, I have had other people bring me, you know, Instagram accounts of other people who have gone through this or who are going through it. So I would say that I know a handful of people across North America who have dealt with this, either getting pregnant before surrogate or after surrogate, it does happen. And really the thing with recurrent pregnancy loss is that you literally never know if 
if you will have a successful pregnancy, but that could be pregnancy number six, or it could be pregnancy number 20. And how long can you really do that to yourself? Um, I think is the question for people. And my doctor really said that to me, you know, that most people who deal with recurrent pregnancy loss at some point may have a successful pregnancy. It's highly possible, but you don't know where that pregnancy will fall. Mm. And for me at 40, you know, I'm, I was really looking at this just never working. So <laughs> I think people dealing with recurrent loss, just you have to go as far as you can and then just stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's why I was kind of upset when I found out I was pregnant because I was like, I, I wanted to stop. I thought this was over. Like this was, right. I wasn't getting, pre- I hadn't been pregnant for two years. I was like, this is done. It's done. There's something wrong. It's not working. I've accepted it. I've moved on, but still in, and, and there wasn't, you're right. There was no relaxing and I never stopped trying. Mm -hmm. So once, once you know, you can get pregnant, there is a really hard part about not being able to truly ever take a break. Mm. So even though I knew it was such a minimal chance, I knew when I was ovulating all the time. Like, that's not something that just goes away in your brain. Right. So, yeah, the people who are like, oh, you just needed to get a surrogate. I'm, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. 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 There was a lot of other things. Yeah. That you did. <laughs> then just, yeah. you know. I, I just needed to get a surrogate. I just needed to have these biopsies. I just needed to do this immune protocol. I just, you know, there's. Yeah. Yeah. There was a whole, it was a whole cocktail. It was, it was. And people like to see the, the miracle of it. And um, I think I said this a little while ago that I will never call these babies miracle babies because they are hard work babies. Mm -hmm. They are not miracles. I did a lot to get these babies and I will give myself the credit. (laughs) They are slog babies. They are not miracles. I totally appreciate that. I think a lot of people in the infertility and loss community just have a a massive aversion to the word miracle. Yeah. I think so too. Something you said on Fab Fertility podcast, which I think is really astute, is that we just kind of use that term flippantly a lot for things that we don't really understand or we can't really mathematically um, formulaically kind of put together or make sense right. of. Right. It's hard to say, you know, oh my gosh, all of this like randomly coincidentally all happened all at once and you happen to have the right doctor and you happen to have the right protocols and you had your surrogate lined up and all of this. That, all of those things, that just must mean miracle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it also means like struggle and hardships and planning and like all of the things. Yeah. I I didn't happen to be at this doctor. I didn't happen to fall into the lap of Trish to be my surrogate. Like it wasn't all just, it didn't all just show up. Yeah. It, it was all very laid out. Yeah. And it also just feels like a, 
dismissive word, you know, for your degree in your own health that you've received. You know, like you've done so much work, you've done so much education, right. yeah. you've done so much slogging and trudging that um, I feel like I have a master's degree in my own autonomy right now, bodily autonomy. Oh my God. Absolutely. That's why I, I would know every time I'm ovulating because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't need a chart. Right. <laughs> Right. Don't give me a chart. I've got my underwear. Don't give me a chart. Yeah. 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 And and you know what? You really, every single person knows their body best. Like, mm-hmm. you know what's going on. If you feel like something is wrong, there's probably something wrong. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you're not being treated properly by your doctor, you're probably not being treated properly by your doctor. Yeah. Um, you're not usually just imagining those things. Right. Absolutely. Well, how can people follow you and hear more about your journey, Alex? I mean, I know you and Blair are back on with um, Fertility Fuck It Friday, correct? We are. We are trying our hardest to be weekly, but it may be a bi-weekly thing more than anything, but we're we're there. We got, um, we're back on. People thought we were in a big fight. That's, that's not the truth. <laughs> We're just very busy. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this, this wonderful news. Is it okay to say congratulations? Yes, it okay. is. Thank congratulations. You. I am so happy for you. Thank you. And we'll be in touch. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Me, Myself, and Millie. Follow us on Instagram at Me, Myself, Millie for more podcast updates. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe and share on social media. A special thanks to my husband, Rowan Brooks, for technical support and Cal Reichenbach, who did all the music you heard in this episode. You can check him out at calzonemusic.com. Thanks, cutie bombs, and see you next week. <laughs>